0: Forget everything you think you knew about King Arthur.
1: What, like all the good characters?
0: Like Lancelot and Gawain and Morgana? Yeah, all of them. Oh no. What have (laughs) they done? Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my co-hosts and co-conspirators.
2: Yeah, they call me Jack the Rat. I take things that don't belong to me, and I peddle them to people who it don't belong to.
0: Where's my copy of King Arthur? (laughs) Hey, forget about it. (laughs)
1: And I'm Chelsea, forged from Damascus Steel.
0: Whoa! I can see it. <laughs> well, guys, in case you didn't already know, this is the podcast where we talk about fantasy movies. And we talk about them real good. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we watched King Arthur, Legend of the Swords. The 2017 Guy Ritchie film starring Charlie Hunnam, Jude Law, and Eric Bana. Yeah. yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you're
2: right. Right, right, right. right. Yeah.
0: So Chelsea, why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie?
1: Here comes your summary.
0: Boom. Wait, wait. Should we do some deep breathing?
1: nice <laughs> there's there's
0: your soundtrack everyone
1: yeah soundtrack for watching the movie assassin's breath
0: dun, dun, dun.
1: <laughs> okay your summary <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right
3: right
1: In King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, director Guy Ritchie makes the bold choice of following the story of the legendary sword Excalibur.
0: The most important character in the entire film.
1: Exactly. On a redemption quest to reinstate the Pendragon family line to the English throne, we follow the sword on its epic journey from its watery grave to choosing Arthur as its champion leading a rebellion against the corrupt king, Vortigern. Don't
0: forget the part where it stabbed its owner in the back.
1: That's a painful backstory that it would rather not remember. A
0: (laughs) backstory. Ouch!
1: And the final battle against the demonic witch king.
0: Did you say lich king? Witch king. Oh, was that last week? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) The sword must coax a reluctant Arthur to wielding it, ...and claiming their destiny to rule over England together. Oh. <laughs> we also get a brief rags-to-riches subplot... ...as we watch Arthur fall from grace after his uncle betrays and kills most of their family... ...and as Arthur grows up in exile on the rough and tumble streets of Londinium.
0: Can you fall from grace before you're, like, five? Is that, is, is that a thing?
1: Only the one percenters know what this feels like. Uh
0: that makes sense, yeah I (laughs) can see (laughs) it.
1: With the help of mages Mages. and loyalist rebels, Excalibur and Arthur overthrow the evil king together and take back their birthright.
0: This sword was born to rule. (laughs) And it rules.
1: Yeah, it does. It it glows even.
0: Pure Damascus steel. Well, guys, I'd be doing us all a disservice if I didn't start by pointing out the most important theme in this movie, and that's class struggle. Now, we can clearly see from the beginning, as Arthur (laughs) falls from grace, as Chelsea pointed out, by uh, having his uncle kill his dad, I guess. But, you know, spoilers for the movie that you should have all watched if you're listening to this. Or not. Chelsea's recap pretty much does all you need to do. Yeah. But, so Arthur ends up, you know, he's he's, uh, he's brought up in a brothel. He comes up mean and tough and everything. Yeah.
1: This is one of our first montages we get of the film, too. Oh,
0: one of many of these uh, quick jump cut montages that Guy Ritchie has basically, like... Used in most or all of his movies. And in this one, it's like he decided to just throw in about six or seven of these crazy narrative montage things. I I love them. It's so great. It's so much fun every time they happen.
1: We can go over the full list of them in a little bit here. But let's let's let you finish your recap of this theme.
0: Yeah. So Arthur uh, ends up in this brothel. Uh, you know, he's living on the streets. He's doing pretty good for himself. You can see he's, like, he's he's scrabbling up. He doesn't really know a lot about, you know, his history or anything. Or at least he plays it off like he doesn't. And, you know, Jude Law uh, just wants to, uh, like, hunt him down because of this sword that shows up. But Arthur, at least overtly says he don't want anything to do with this he's happy with his life at the brothel he he likes his co-workers and everything, he's protective of, <laughs> of everybody he works with, he's not really looking to improve his standing in life, it's all forced on him everything yeah. is thrust upon him
1: he does right. not want to claim his destiny as the king, he wants to build his own empire
0: right. yeah, I respect that, on he the wa-
1: streets he
0: wants to be yeah. a self-made individual
1: yeah, yeah that's right. true right so he's basically kind of running from his past and painful memories.
0: Yeah, and he's not interested in perpetuating the oppression that you know the monarchy would foist upon the people. Right.
1: You know, he he helps out in the brothel. He has a positive view of sex work, and he wants to support the women in their profession. And yeah, he keeps them. He protects them. He makes sure they get paid what they're owed, and then some. Right. Sometimes, <laughs> and and he keeps them like he keeps make sure they have a lot of nice things and
2: lots of nice things. Yeah,
1: <laughs> make sure they're well taken care of. And Take all good that. care
2: of them.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's like a uh, he's a he's a self uh, self-made individual kind of or, or he's like you know he's a he's a, a rough scrabble guy but he's a, a man of the people.
1: And these are the women, by the way, that took him in after they found him on the river. in a, like a Moses kind of narrative.
0: Probably the most arc. sympathetically portrayed female characters in the entire film. Yeah. Because, spoilers, this movie does not treat women very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, except for the his, like, kind of surrogate family. His, yeah. His, his mothers.
0: <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, the, generally speaking, like, the women are often associated with monsters, like, the... the, the kraken women or the octopus ladies or or uh, like yeah, monsters or the character whose name is just the mage who kind of helps arthur like learn to wield the sword and everything yeah she's and, thinking
1: a real name
0: and she like is constantly shown with like uh animalistic eyes and stuff and and you know there could be a reason for that
2: you know Sexism,
0: but I, I aside was, thinking,
2: I from was that, that too. Aside from that, she's a caster, and she could know this, the the power that comes with giving out your name. So oh. maybe, maybe there's that magical spin on it,
0: right?
1: Lightsabering here, but I like your explanation. Yeah, yeah. we
2: are lightsabering.
0: No, I'm, you know what? I'm kind of into that. M- names have power in the magical traditions.
1: This could also have to do with some of the class struggle issues, though, because. Mages used to have high standing in Camelot until, um, what's his Mordred. Face?
0: The evil Mordred. mage Mordred. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about the Mord- badass siege that Mordred wages with giant mountain elephants in yeah. the beginning of the movie.
1: Well, he <laughs> makes a pact with, uh, Vortigern, uh, when King Uther, Arthur's father is still on the throne.
0: And it's pretty fucked up. Uther really yeets his horse off the side of a cliff when he dives onto that pyramid on the top of that elephant's back.
1: Yeah. That the is, horse
0: is just like, falls. Barely
1: makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. That is a generous that level of sense in that the you were
1: There's pyramids on the backs of... Elephants that are even larger than the elephants from the Lord of the Rings They had to go bigger. Yeah. There are step pyramids. There are, like, Mayan-style step pyramids amongst the other buildings in Camelot. It's very confusing architecture.
0: I'm not confused. It makes perfect sense. It was badass looking.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it looked cool all together, sure. But it just didn't make a whole lot of sense.
2: Uh, It's because the sword had Damascus steel. That they got that architecture. We we should uh, quickly describe what Excalibur looks like in this film, right? It looks like a sword. We have
1: to talk about the main character. Yes.
2: Yes. The main character, Excalibur.
0: That's right. We should be talking about the main character. What a beauty. Good Uh, looking blade. Yeah, it's true. First off, like the etching, like the glowing blue glyphs. Yes. Big fans. Yeah. It is
1: very cool. Yes. And that's part of the whole um, theme of like running from your destiny and trying to create your own path in life because Arthur does have an affinity with the sword as a member of the Pendragon line. And, and that's the case because Merlin forged the sword and he imbued that affinity into this magical artifact. A, a particular affinity to this family line.
0: Now, guys, I got to ask you a question. If you could change your fate. Would you? I would. Yes.
1: I would. Um. So, Arthur, Arthur wouldn't.
0: No, can't realize
1: the true affinity with Excalibur.
0: Yeah, until he kind of gets like
1: takes sick. it in both hands and is able to kind of look into the painful memories of his past when his parents were killed and when he was betrayed and and face that head on and. Fully realize
0: who he is well it makes sense I mean for him excalibur is associated with trauma I yeah. mean he, he the last time he saw this blade it literally got thrown into the air and stabbed into his father's back and then his father became stone and broke through a dock and fell into the ocean. Yeah, that was great. I mean, I'd be traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of
2: fathers, you know, that abandonment backstory. Yeah. Daddy's just going out for a pack of smoke, son. Yeah. Oh, God. And then he throws a cigarette <gasps> through his spine and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> um, I miss you, Dad. <laughs> yep. Um, Tale as old as time.
1: So, yeah, something that's interesting about the Excal... I'm, might be going too deep into another topic here but um when he wields Excalibur this is why how we know it's the main character because it has a mind of its own and when Arthur takes it into both hands it kind of takes control of him and he says in the movie that he has he couldn't didn't control his actions when he was holding it right So it takes control of him and does what it wants.
0: (laughs) It's the protagonist. It saves the day. It has autonomy. Yeah. Arthur has no autonomy. Everything is forced upon him throughout the movie. That's true. But the sword is making choices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's even that moment when he yeets the sword into the ocean. And then he's, like, running through the forest. And he falls into a puddle of mud. Into the deepest puddle of mud ever meets the Lady of the Lake in a badass shot where he's, like, floating down and she's, like, reaching up to him. And then he pulls the sword out of this muddy bog and is just, like, looking at it like, oh, fuck, there's just no escaping this, is there? Yeah, that, that
2: scene was so memorable for me. That was, like, the one thing that sold this film, in my mind. Like, I actually enjoyed it pretty well, but, like, that one scene is just so iconic where... His hand falls in the puddle, and these two, like, fae, fae, like, pale women's hands reach out and pull his wrist under, and he falls into this puddle, and it's, like, the depths of the lake, and she's there, and the dress is all fanning out in this, like, moonlight underwater.
3: It's yeah.
1: one and, of the coolest shots yeah, I've ever seen. The
2: sword bursts into flame underwater. I forgot she, about like, that. That's yeah. so yeah. cool. Super cool, worth the entire film So when he's <laughs> worth wielding the it
1: The sword makes him move Basically at Superhuman speedster Levels Yep, He's and he's the Flash He basically kind of becomes the Flash with the sword And he can rele- The sword can release sonic Booms that push Whole swaths of Foes back
0: I believe you mean sonic
2: boom Yes. And it can like send jets of like energy, not lightning or anything, but just like a pulse.
1: Force like force walls.
2: Yes. It can chop swords in half. Yeah, it can chop swords in half. It demolishes a bridge that he's like 50 feet away from. Just by swinging in its general direction. That's right. Yeah, we we get a lot of, like, 300-style slow-motion shots where the camera's, like, soaring around the fight from different angles.
0: Oh, yeah, this movie owes its entire everything to... I mean, obviously, for one, Guy Ritchie's just general... Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two smoking Barrel style, but also 300 and all the action sequences that it's ripping off from 300 and The Lord of the Rings. Beautifully, by the way. I mean, it's a lot of fun. The fight scenes in this movie are very enjoyable.
1: Really cool. They create a great payoff for the build-up that the sword gets up to that point, because a lot of the fight scenes happen in just the last 15 or 20 minutes of the movie with the sword. Right. Um... But So that's a great payoff. It, it feels very satisfying in that way. But honestly, the parts of the movie that make it fun for me are those montages. And there oh, are yeah. so many in the movie, but I love every one. It was like... I almost wish the whole movie could just be that, because... So
0: so for the <laughs> listeners, I mean, if you've seen a Guy Ritchie movie, you know what we're talking about here. These are the moments where somebody's explaining the plan, right? Yes. They've got a heist plan. Yeah. So they're walking through the plan, and while they're explaining it, we're seeing the moments from the heist, or from the scheme.
1: And it's usually, like, the this team of people explaining it to a new person, and the team knows each other and their strategies so well and knows the situation so well that they all are kind of filling in the shoes of the storyteller and transitioning from one person to another. Yeah, well, they've read the and... script,
0: so they know how it goes.
1: <laughs> but it creates a really dynamic scene, and you have to follow from one person to the other as they're explaining the plan, and and then it it jump cuts, as Jamie was saying, to them actually enacting the plan as they're describing it, it it's so much fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it's like, okay, we're going to talk to these guys, right? But this one guy, you know, he's he's uh, he's really concerned with money, so he's going to say to me, oh, well, if you don't pay me enough money, it's not going to happen. But then Charlie over here, he's going to do this thing, and then it's all going to be good.
2: Yeah, Charlie's good at dancing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then someone else, yeah.
2: <laughs> it, there's so often where they're like, yeah, and then Blue Boy will be there. Blue Boy's a good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> good boy, Blue yeah.
0: Boy. That's my boy, Blue. Yeah, everyone. Boy. Yeah,
2: everyone just takes turns like s- repeating it back to agree yeah. with the narrator. Yeah. So I'll be like, huh, Mike, which Mike? Brown nosed Mike. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Brown nosed Mike or flathead Mike? You're giving me a headache. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good gag, and it's one that they go to the well with. Almost too many times, but I enjoy it yeah, they every do time. it.
1: It's so much fun every time with the way they do it. I don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care that they do it too many times. It's like the best part of the movie. I so. think
2: they like had a focus group where it was similar to economics, where they're like, okay, price, uh, if it's this price how many would you buy and then they just found like the perfect medium for how many of these montages they could have in the film yeah. while people would still enjoy it yeah. they're like all right we can get six in here before we get the most complaints <laughs> yeah.
1: let's put it in yeah. so i i got five of them down i know i was missing one. Or two. <laughs> I, lo-
0: I love that you were keeping track of the uh, yes, yes. of the quick cut montage Yeah, so let's hear There
1: there is one that I can think of when Arthur was growing up. We got his montage of him growing up and We're build, him get building older. up his empire, building yeah. up his coffers.
0: Getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Just like everyone is just backhanding him and slapping him around but he... God's damn it, he just keeps going. Nothing ever keeps up. him down. He always gets up. He's tub-thumping. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: And then, um... Oh, when that the head of the local uh, constabulary comes in and they're going over how they got into trouble with the Vikings. That was another one.
0: Yep. Uh, and the Vikings are awesome.
1: Yeah. Ah. He's great. So that is one of the best ones, I think.
0: Yeah. And yeah. plus, I mean, I got to give some love to my fellow uh, tattooed hand fellows. So I, yeah. I, this guy's great. It's yeah. true. Real silver fox with some sweet ink. Yeah. yeah. This is also the montage
2: where they say, Blue boy's a good boy. Yeah. Which, it, that, that's also one of the things from the film that just stuck with me. How how many times in this montage they're like, Blue boy's a good boy. Hey, what can <laughs> you
0: say? He's a good boy.
2: Yeah. I, I never forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was never a question. Yeah.
1: Um, and then the part where he's going into the dark lands to face his fears in his past. They they have one of those montages again.
0: Oh yeah, the yeah, darklands I, is no, a very place. That was a cool spot. You know there there's my biggest issue with that was I wanted to see more of that. Like yeah. there's not a lot of times where I'm like okay let's see these kind of um, long drawn out scenes. But the darklands scene was very cool we, and very surreal. Very didn't high get fantasy. You enough
1: of an explanation, and you, we do find out later that's where those humongous elephants came from because apparently. All the flora and fauna in the Darklands is kind of like... It's megafauna. Mega fauna. level.
0: Yeah. Gigantic fucking snake that pays off later. Yeah. When Jude Law uh, is um getting... uh Is meeting Arthur again. and Or, you know, Arthur's showing up there after he's on his weird, like, snake bite drug trip. And... Uh, that was cool. He comes in and then, like... Jude Law chops the head off of the oh, snake, by the way, that's gets the, covered in snake blood.
1: That's the point where there's that fucking awesome song, too. Oh,
0: oh yeah. The yeah. Devil and the Huntsman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, rad song. The soundtrack in this movie fucking kills.
2: Yeah, would look it up. Would watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> just for the soundtrack.
1: So, um, oh. And then there's another montage when they're building up support. Their support network to um, go against the king to make a move against the king and try to assassinate him they're building up support from different groups of people and there's a montage about that
3: yeah
2: that's right
1: yeah
2: yeah they're basically kind of like they're they're meeting up with some lords who are asking them for the like they're essentially beating around the bush in this scene like what, what what are you guys supposed to be like knights of the of the like the poor place, yeah, of... of the Yeah, knights of the whorehouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's they, exactly they were, what they say.
1: Yeah, preempting that they would say those yeah, things. Being yeah. Very
2: shaming. Yeah. yeah. Knights of like a triangular
0: table. Knights of like a uh, a square table. And it's funny because later on at the end of the movie, spoilers I guess, where we're seeing the round table, everyone's like. What is this thing? What is this large-legged wooden object sitting in the middle of the (laughs) (laughs) room? They're like, is it a dance
1: floor? Is it it a
0: wheel of cheese? Because it's... It's made of wood and hammered bronze. It must be a wheel of cheese. Did you roll it into the door or what? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's this table is clearly assembled in pieces, and one guy goes, "Did you roll it into the door?" No, dumbass. It, the pieces are all—you can see the pieces of it. I don't. It's understand. not even together. That this was is...
1: one of the weirdest <clears throat> scenes of the whole movie. Actually, like, why don't they know what a table is?
0: May, okay, maybe tables were new technology at this point. <laughs> Excalibur. Ba- you, it's just how it
3: was back then. Exactly.
0: Yes. The, people did not know what tables were. Very common issue yes. back then. In the
3: mythological Our, In
2: those times. <laughs> King Arthur was given superhuman intelligence and inventiveness by the Damascus Steel Excalibur. And Maybe it with made a brain. A parasite. table that was circular.
0: Oh God, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, the sword is the real protagonist here because he wouldn't have been able to know how to create something like that without.
0: No, the riddle of Damascus. It's
2: just so with. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's just so without corners or
0: angles. <laughs> so
1: the last montage that I
0: could you, remember. could
1: remember was... Um, <laughs> Before your brain
0: shut down in the full reverie for watching this movie. Yeah. Yes. It's
1: when they were planning to assassinate the king and they were getting all set up for that.
0: Yes. Yes. That That's a good so one. Good. That's a really good one. And then yeah.
1: the scene after they... Tr- I just got to go on a little tangent here. The scene after they have the failed assassination attempt on the king and they're trying to escape from Lindinium... That's one of the best scenes in the whole movie.
2: Yeah, that's when you really see that blue boy
0: is a good boy. Oh, is that where... And that's uh, where they're
1: running around all, all the streets and, like, doing parkour and stuff. Yep. And there's yes, that, that's when yes. the, that song, uh, Assassin's Breath, is playing. And... <laughs>
0: oh, God, wait, we better be careful not to get... We don't want to get copyright takedown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But it is such a cool song. I love it. Dude.
2: <laughs> we should do we should do a King Arthur Legend of the Sword ASMR where we just do <laughs> Assassin's Breath more quietly into the mic and do Ooh. like a cockney accent. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't
0: think we're going to be doing that Jack. Yeah. Just the
2: intro like the sword must be passed down. <laughs> So, that makes sense. I get
0: that. <laughs>
1: so maybe we should talk about magic. The magic. Ooh, I love magic.
0: Movie. I'm a big fan of magic. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that because I said I wanted to say I think we should talk a bit about the mage uh, portrayed by Astrid Bergus Frisbee or Frisbee. I'm not she sure. She looks
1: so weird.
0: I mean, I think that was kind of the point. Yeah. Is she the mage? She is the mage. Oh, the mage. Who uh, yeah. Petavir just says, I know what you are, mage, or something like that. And that's basically the only time we ever get an identity for her. I know what you are, mage. You're the mage. <laughs> yeah.
1: So she has, uh, her main talent is um, <laughs> control animals.
0: Yes. Yeah. And she yeah. Really also cool. has some kind of like mind disruption magic that she uses really? on Jude Law. With? She's kind of like during when oh, they're trying to exe- right. when they're like... gonna execute Arthur, and she's like calling down the hawk and stuff.
1: You know what it's called? Discombobulate.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, She punches him in the side of the head with both hands <laughs> and frozzles his brain. Yeah. No, she like they're, um, during the scene when uh, Jude Law is about to have Arthur executed. Uh, the mage shows up around the corner and starts like speaking some incantations, and Jude Law's like holding his head and just kind of seems frazzled and and like like he's having a migraine or something. He's freaking out. <laughs> you know, he's just wild. So I think that was the mage doing that.
1: I think so too. Or that her, the magic she was using was so intense that it. And he's a a mage himself, and he's been trying to hide that fact. Good call. And um.
0: The magic is, like, feedbacking on him. It's
1: kind of like feedback, almost. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, we should talk a little bit about his magic, too. He has um, the magic of betrayal. Because all of his magic (laughs) requires him to kill somebody he loves and feed them to the um, octopi ladies. Kill a Manjaro. So, that's
1: not his magic. That's a pact he makes with those creatures. Yeah, he's a warlock. It's temporary magic. His, he actually does have a magical affinity. Um,
0: Because of his connection to Mordred?
1: Yeah. Um. He can use fire, but it's not very strong. Well, he doesn't yeah. have a strong connection to magic, so that's why he relies on this pact with those octopi women. They're like magical creatures. Is that and how he... Can, he... He gives them a sacrifice, and they give... That's when he can transform into that demonic king.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, is that when he becomes a Dark Souls boss?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so and true. And it only yeah.
1: lasts for... It's like an hour-long spell or something like that.
0: Yeah, a concentration spell. So... Yeah. He, that's why when he gets whacked, he, uh, he kind of starts to lose it. It's he's, a he's high price
1: for dealing with a problem. Yeah, and
0: murdering only... somebody you love to get an hour of power to maybe fight off your... Uh, nephew? Is Arthur his nephew? Yes.
1: Yeah. He killed, First he kills his brother and then he tries to kill his nephew, but fails like that one. You know. Well, first
0: he kills his wife.
1: Well, yeah. And then yeah. his daughter. He doesn't. Those are the sacrifices. Technically,
0: he doesn't kill, uh, Uther. Uther throws the sword up and stabs himself through the spine and then turns into a rock. Yeah. yeah
1: it's like he thinks he's gonna lose or something, but it didn't totally make sense.
0: Yeah. He also killed his sister-in-law with the spear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right.
2: I would have loved it if him killing the sister-in-law with the spear made his, like, unholy pact get stronger. <laughs> like, he loved Jeez.
3: her also. Right. And was ah. like,
0: oh, me killing her. I didn't even expect that to happen. That would be a classic so nice. King Arthur move, though. Or, like, yeah. King
2: Arthurian myth move. It's true. We should also probably mention real quick, Yeah. Mordred was at war with Uther Pendragon, Uh and in this myth, or in this film, Arthur is the good guy nephew of the king, who is the bad guy, and in the original King Arthur myth, Mordred is the bad guy nephew of the good guy king, Arthur. So Mordred is normally Arthur's nephew.
0: So this movie took a very different turn.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, you know, with a gritty reboot, you have to, like, juggle around the roles and everything. Wait, it's isn't true. he
1: usually his nephew's son? I thought they were
0: brothers.
2: Yeah, they can be son. Uh, I think most commonly they're portrayed as nephew and uncle. But I've also seen them as father and son.
0: I've also heard that My they've nephew, been brothers. My nephew, brother's son. My nephew, brother's <laughs> son. I mean, this is uh, royal uh, incest. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Basically, yeah. again, that is just the way things were back then. It's true, it's true. Also, maybe we should have mentioned
2: earlier that there's no official canon for the King Arthur universe.
0: So, if you... <laughs> sure there is. Sure, yeah, the Excalibur. Yeah. No, the movie with Clive Owen. That's the official Arthur canon, right?
2: Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah, if you, the listener, went out and wrote your own King Arthur story there's no one who could tell you that was not the king arthur story (laughs) technically
0: technically true sure i mean i
2: guess (laughs) yeah there are many
1: different legends written by many different authors yeah
2: so it's since it's kind of public domain and there's never been an official one that people
0: have been like yeah that's it well that's why there's so many king arthur movies yeah exactly
1: I mean, it comes from a culture that had an oral tradition. So, yeah. um, you know, bards would retell a story, like, from their perspective or with their own spin on it. So it would change a little every time.
2: Yeah. Also, in addition to that, even when it was written down, yeah, people all over Europe would be like, Oh, that's so cool. I just thought of this great, like, character I came up with, Lancelot. He's more handsome than Arthur. <laughs> he can fight with any weapon. He gets Arthur's
0: girlfriend in the end. What we're I'm saying my is fanfic. the fanfic. Arthur the Arthurian legends are the original fanfic. It's true!
1: Yeah, and you know, Lancelot and Guinevere, their uh trist is actually they taken s- from earlier stories of Tristan, Tristan and his Yeah. Yeah,
2: there you go. Also, um, yeah. Another movie we'll have to watch. <laughs> a testimony yeah, sure. to, like, the oh. just, you know, kind of chaotic narrative that is the King Arthur legends. Originally, uh, at the time, it was, like, a cultural idea that, like, love is the most noble pursuit,
0: right? Yes. Knightly, so, courtly love and, and knightly virtue, yeah. Yeah, right. so Lancelot. You had to love somebody so much that you literally became ill thinking about how much you love that person. Like, that was the ideal, that you love somebody so much that you'd become sick, and as a knight, all you could do is fight in tournaments, of course, go to war, and write love poetry for the person that you love so fucking much.
2: Exactly. So Lancelot was the illest there is.
0: And, uh, was he the thrillest there is?
2: Yes. <laughs> did I mention he was the illest <laughs> there the kill-ist is? Or the killest there is? Yeah. Did he killed a lot of
0: people in battle, oh probably? Oh
2: Yeah, he did. He did. But, uh, yeah... The affair that he and Guinevere had was originally viewed as just like, oh, of course, it was the only thing they could have done. Yeah. And then later... It would be tasteless not to have an affair. Exactly. And then later on, like hundreds of years later, it started being portrayed as like something he should be both or both of them should be guilty of and like as being wrong. Also... As, like, it became a more Christian story, it also became a more pagan story. I I did a little bit of research on this. My oh. God. Yeah, where in the same myth that they first added the Holy Grail to the King Arthur legends, they also add the Lady of the Lake. And when they add, like, Gawain, who's, like, a holy knight of the yeah. round table, they also add, like, the Green Knight. Yeah. The oh, Heavenly yeah, spirit. Gawain
0: and the Green who's
1: Knight. is a uh, foe. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so like it's interesting how the more christian it is the more pagan it is and this movie oh uh, i don't Doesn't think it give very a shit about christian. any of that
0: yeah it, it <laughs> tossed really, it all out not the really. window yeah. This movie is just English. Yeah. And by English I mean Guy Ritchie. You know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Giant elephants. That's how the movie starts. Just the huge mountain sized elephants. Yeah. That
0: reminds me of something. Like they go they, they show that big battle with the elephants in the beginning, and then later on they kind of recount very briefly like what led to where they are now. And I was just like, the prequel that they allude to, it's just it's so fucking epic. It's like, oh yeah, and back then there was way more magic and tons of wizards everywhere, and they were having fireball battles at every corner, and there was more giant monsters. I'm like, uh, can can we watch that? Yeah, Merlin yeah. fucking melted down his magical staff to forge Excalibur, yeah, and it nearly tore reality apart. Yeah. They're in the beginning of the movie. They're just incinerating everyone with fucking fire magic and stuff and it's bananas and I loved it. I wanted a whole movie that was just the Mordred and Uther story. Also the sequel
2: seemed pretty sick. We'll talk more about that in rewriting history of course but like Before and after this film, both seemed like very eventful movies. Not that this one wasn't, but this seemed kind of like it would have been the backstory or an
0: interlude between (laughs) the
2: prequel and sequel.
0: Well, we can talk about that because I think that's what it was supposed to be, or something along those lines was supposed to be the case. This was supposed to be a franchise, and it is not. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Unfortunately.
1: Well, yeah, I mean. We were talking about that a little bit before and we kind of thought that it didn't do very well in the box office because it's a fantasy movie. Yeah, you know? so
0: actually that leads to a question I wanted to ask you guys. Why aren't fantasy movies more popular these days? I mean, we had Lord of the Rings. That was like the big like resurgence, but nothing else seems to... really. And, you know, by fantasy, I mean like this type of medieval magic, like sorcerers and wizards and knights type fantasy. I mean, Game of Thrones is huge, but it's kind of its own, you know, gritty, realistic thing. But why don't movies like this do better? I think perhaps
2: one of the reasons is because people can kind of get the idea that magic is a cop-out, right? Sure. Where if there aren't defined rules for it, you can just do whatever you want, and you don't really have to come up with a plot as much as just like... Cool magic is this problem, and cool magic over here is the solution. And then you can just kind of do whatever you want. I've heard the complaint about Doctor Strange in the MCU, actually, that people don't like him as much because... He can do whatever he wants, and people don't understand his limitations or what he's capable of. And I think that's kind of one thing the fantasy genre does, where they're like, oh, if there's a dragon, why don't they just explode it with their brain?
0: You mean like in last week's movie? Yes! Dragon Slayer? Exactly! Yeah. Yeah, where he does do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah! But,
2: uh... I mean, he explodes his body. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people can't really wrap their head around magic because it's also not consistent between movies.
0: Whoa, sure.
2: Yeah, because in one magical, in one film that's fantasy, magic could be like fell, where it corrupts you and it's insane. And most of the other magic is like just teleportation. Magic comes with a
0: price, dearie.
2: Of course, and then there could be another movie that's like. Age of the Dragon, where the only magic
0: that you see is just dragons exist and they're like... And their gullets are filled with uh, magic like with an infinity uh, resource of power. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it's just not consistent enough for viewers to want to get
2: into the genre.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, you know... Um, sword and sorcery fantasy, which is kind of the our subgenre here of fantasy that we focus on.
0: Or sword and sandal, but mostly sword and sorcery.
1: Yes. Loosely. Um, <laughs> is more of a product of a bygone era that still kind of hangs around. You know what I'm saying? Like that genre was more popular in the fifth. Films of the 50s and 60s
0: But it had a resurgence in the 80s And then in the That's early true. 2000s with Lord of the Rings
1: That was very brief Hercules
0: so. 3D I, The
1: 80s was a definitely a stronger Resurgence than the early 2000s Yeah But um, people aren't looking Back as much To those times for Fulfillment in the, the Stories that they want to see In films They tend to look forward the most popular uh, movies that are fantasy adjacent or outright superhero fantasy movies. are the superhero movies of the MCU and um,
0: <laughs> the DCEU, I DCEU. guess. <laughs> yeah. Like um,
1: that Green
0: Lantern movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seminal uh, text in the superhero genre. Yep.
1: So those are driving the popularity of fantasy movies right now are they are the main driving force and they are more like science fantasy sure and they, they involve a lot of tech and uh, futuristic technology and in, in terms of that and um like space travel and things that are typically associated with science fiction but they do still have magic and like other abilities of of typical fantasy heroes. So that's why I say science fantasy. It's kind of a blending of the genres and it, it looks more towards the future and what is possible. And I think that kind of goes along with the current zeitgeist hmm. that we're living in today.
0: Interesting.
1: So I think people don't want to look to the past as much anymore. They want to look towards the future.
2: Yeah, and you know what uh like I think what another one of the most popular future uh future sword and sorcery movies? movies? Star Wars. Oh, really? You think so? Yeah <laughs> I do. I do. Are there swords in Star Wars? Laser swords. Oh. <laughs> Only Jedi's use laser swords.
1: <laughs>
2: that's so
0: wizard. <laughs> and those Jedi ripoffs from Starfinder. We're bringing oh, them yeah. back the Yeah, Solarians. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. More on that later. No, but no, you're probably thinking to yourself, I mean, does Jamie ask this question? Does he have an answer? Hey, Jamie, do you have an answer? I do have an answer. Holy God. I have a theory about why fantasy movies are not is big right now, and it has to do with my favorite theme in all fantasy films that I identify in every fantasy movie you watch. It's because they're all about class and class struggles. That's right. These movies make people feel uncomfortable about talking about disparity and inequality in fantasy world, because so many of these movies are about oppressed minorities yeah. and, or groups of people like Conan having to push that wheel around right <laughs> or like in Warcraft where the orcs are are a subject well I guess I don't know if they're a subjugated class in Warcraft
1: they were refugees
0: yeah see there you go thank you <laughs> they're <laughs> oppressed by Goldan. and in this movie we see you know this narrative about Arthur kind of being you know uh like thrust into this position of, of being kind of like... You know, the Jude Law wants to make an example of him even though Arthur is not really doing anything to want to act on that. These questions... You know the way that horror movies often like get into social issues that other types of bigger, more mainstream movies can't really explore or are often afraid or not interested in exploring i think fantasy movies are kind of doing the same thing and it's it's really easy just like horror to be like oh no it's just this dumb violence and stuff like this and there's not really any messages but i mean if i've learned anything from doing this show with you guys it's that so often these movies do have social messages they are trying to say something about class and race and oppression and opportunity and you know it's often like covered in this in these allegories of fate and destiny and stuff or you know in this movie we've got like sacrifice and the desire to avoid fate but all of it kind of gets into deeper social themes that like i said i think that We as a culture are afraid to delve into these things. We're afraid of the answers we're going to find.
2: It is interesting how in a lot of these fantasy films, they could make the entire film without showing a lot of issues with the world and society that they're set in. Because...
0: Right, they could be utopian worlds, like a lot of, like pop films are right
2: and the only issue are dragons or witches or whatever they want it to be right but a lot of times there is that social issue that's going on in the background yeah maybe it's solved at the end and maybe it's only kind of solved at the end like the wheels start turning as a result of the main plot yeah but yeah that is always kind of a subplot going on
0: it's like you know, in the Hobbit movies, they added like this: these the subplot with the the mayor of Lake Town being oh god like a, a a puppet leader and and bilking the people and and exploiting the people and everything and you know like more movie more fantasy movies are addressing these themes and yet there we're seeing less and less making it to theaters. A lot of these movies that we watch, you know, for this show either aren't doing super well. I mean, you know, stuff like Conan was a huge success back in the day. Mm-hmm. But the more recent stuff we've watched, a lot of it has been either direct-to-video or, you know, critical failures. Yeah.
2: yeah. Not that they all deserve to be, either.
0: No, I actually, I think this movie should have done better. I mean, in a world where we're getting a million more Transformers uh, sequels and stuff, like, I would have rather seen a fantasy franchise like King Arthur take off and become, you know, something. And this movie, like, it's so weird. It places itself in such a bizarre, like, mashup. Because it's a mashup of Guy Ritchie's movies and the King Arthur legend. And it's yeah. it's awesome. It's like when he did yeah. the Sherlock Holmes movies. Like that makes almost more sense. But like this movie is very British. This takes place in Londinium. Like, of course Guy Ritchie is gonna, like, go back in time. Like, the next one we're gonna probably get is gonna be, like, ancient Roman culture with these Cockney accents and these heist movies and and these quick cuts and everything. And I'm super into it. Like, I hope he does, like, the next Gladiator. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be sick.
1: That would be great.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one
2: more thing before maybe we move on is, um, yeah, I wanted to mention uh kind of a trope that we see in a lot of the swords and satire movies is the villain making the hero. Yes.
0: Yeah. And uh
2: good yes, point. That's right. Jude Law, uh, you know, the villain of the movie. He has no other name. He needs no other name. He's Jude Law. <laughs> he is the villain of life too. Yeah, it's I'm true. just
0: kidding, I like Jude Law. <laughs> oh no
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I like Jude Law too. He's a Dumbled great Double Daddy. Uh, he's a great Watson. But uh Yes. In the other Guy Ritchie movie, yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, if he didn't try to kill Uther and, you know, Arthur gets away... And he could have just left Arthur to be the, like, street rat kind of hoodlum boy that he was. But uh he keeps hunting him down because he's afraid of him, even though there's nothing to be afraid of. And he, by putting this strife into the world, revolving around Arthur, he turns Arthur into the guy capable of defeating him and uh, he Arthur even says that to him at the end he's like you asked you asked me what was my drive <laughs> yeah you asked me what gave me such drive you did yeah yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. right right well yeah. you know
0: what I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this can be a perfect transition to our next segment oh evil stupid or misunderstood oh yeah. this is the part of the show where we discuss whether the Villain or antagonist of the movie was evil, stupid, or misunderstood. Oh, oh. Thoughts? Oh, oh. <laughs> I've got one. I've got one. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Stupid with a... a. Uh, he had a major in stupid with a minor in evil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I Disgust. 100% agree. Right. He, I think I do too, but let's hear it. He, like, he wanted to be in charge, and he wanted power, but, like... His um, I will, I won't even call it ambition because in my mind, ambition has the implication that there is some sort of plan or intelligence behind right. what you're doing. But no, he's just like, I want the power thing, and then he stabs his wife, and he's like, I'm so scary now, I'm a monster. And right. then he, uh, and then he's like, I'm gonna kill my brother and take the throne, and then uh, he fails and. He's, like, in charge, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's, like, fumbling about... He doesn't ask questions, which could give him helpful answers. He never asks questions.
0: Right. Yeah. He makes a lot that of That would make him weak yeah, if he was exactly. asking questions.
2: Uh, he can, like, spot traitors in his midst and stuff like that. But, again, he doesn't use that knowledge to any advantage of his. No, he really doesn't. No. He, he like he's observant i guess and he i guess sometimes he knows what to do in the immediate moment but he just can't plan ahead whatsoever
1: his cowardice makes him hyper vigilant yes
2: that's true
0: i feel like the movie is missing a vital scene or a sequence of scenes where people are actually questioning his rule like the whole his whole thesis statement is that the existence of Excalibur is going to undermine his rule because he's not wielding it. But, like, we don't see anything that leads us to believe that the peasantry or his men or anything are really concerned with that. Like, when Arthur shows up at the site of, the, of Excalibur... Like the guys doing the bookkeeping are just like, all right, yeah, grab the sword. Like it's like they're a bunch of bureaucrats. They're not like vigilantly looking on, like trying to like wondering if we the authority, the king. yeah, wondering if the authority of their kings being, uh, questioned. Like these guys seem one hundred percent on board with doing the king's evil bidding, and they're not questioning it at all. And Jude Law is just like, oh, this is going to undermine me, and the people will think that I'm weak. It's like, no, dude, you're in charge of everything. You rolled an iron fist. What more, like, do you need? He could have also just gone,
2: like, the Sith approach, where he just, like,
0: destroys
2: all the records of Excalibur. And then people see that sword in a rock, and he's just like, oh, yeah... It's just, like, a commemorative statue to the battle that Uther
0: won. Yeah, or or just, like, (laughs) build a fucking tower over it or some shit.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just cement over it. (laughs) Yeah. Pave that shit. The sword in the stone under the stone. Yeah. Yeah, could have been good. Yeah, I think he was, like, he was decent at thinking about things that were happening right in front of him. But not about things, not about the consequences of his actions or what he was going to do down the line. Yeah, not a plan. He
1: definitely thought he was smarter than he was.
2: Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. Because Jude Law always has that look in his eye that he's doing something clever. And I think <laughs> yeah. that translated into the character.
0: Maybe. So I think yeah. we all agree very stupid with a just a dash of evil. Yeah. yeah. Or at least, I guess, a healthy helping, a hearty helping of evil, but like. Way over, uh, outweighed by his stupid. Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, with that out of the way, I guess it's time for our ratings. So, like usual, as handed down from the gods of satire to us, this is the part of the show where we discuss the most epic moment of the movie from our perspective, or the epic feature of the movie, and then give it a rating. And in this case, it's... One to ten Excaliburs. Hey, you know what? I'll go first. The epic moment I want to talk about is the fight scene near the end of the movie where Arthur is fighting the black Leg soldiers. And it's a great fight scene. That's not to be disputed. He's chopping guys' swords in half. He's running around like the Flash, just smashing ass and and doing crazy (laughs) tricks and everything. But here's what I love. And I love when they do this in movies. I want to see this more in movies. He kicks the ass off of... A bunch of these black leg soldiers, and then he squares up against like the the next uh, wave of them, and the other guys are like, nope, fuck this, throw their weapons down, give up right then. Yes, why don't more henchmen do this? You just watched a dude single handedly mow through like twenty or thirty of your best buds, and you're gonna try to fight him. Fuck that shit Run away. Say you're sorry. Turn over a new leaf. Promise to go give to orphans. Like fuck this. You're that, why die in the name of this you know, this stupid fight against Arthur. Yeah. When yeah. you just watch him kick the crap out of all your buddies. So I love that and I wanna see that in more movies. Um I had a great time watching this. I think it's a much better movie than it gets credit for. Yeah. I'm going to give this eight Excaliburs.
2: Yes. Nice. Yes. Yes. Very good. Excalibur, the sword of, like, swords and satire. Like, what an iconic yeah, sword. Exactly. Yeah. Jack? I, mean, I guess, like, Sting could be the iconic short sword, you know, from the police.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a sword. Yeah. <laughs> he's sharp. I mean, he's always rock hard.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: oh man, Damascus steel. <laughs> that's yeah,
2: that's yeah. tantric for you. All right, epic moment. At the there's the montage where he's going from boy to man, and when he's a when he's a young boy, and he's living in the brothel, and he sees like he sees through an open door that a dude is beating on one of the the sex know, workers. The sex workers. Thank you. That is one of his kind of parental figures. He tries to pull the dude off. And the dude like pushes him away and like punches him, right? And then he's a little bit older. And he like sees the same thing happening where someone is mistreating one of the women who raises him. And, uh, you know, he gets pushed away and beaten up again. Yeah, he gets pushed off and beaten up again. And then he's like a man this time. And then the dude, uh, one of the guys, is, like, bringing his fist back to hit one of the sex workers. And then King Arthur's hand just grabs the fist. And then the dude turns. And then King Arthur beats him up and throws him out this time. I was like, oh, that's so good. He can finally stand up for his friends.
1: That was great. Yeah.
2: I really loved that scene where his entire life he was never okay with it. And then he was finally big enough from, like, (laughs)
0: fist-pumping in his
2: room to do something about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not sure how he got all these muscles, but boy did he get them off. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Some gains.
0: Um fat gains. Shoot, dude. I really enjoyed this
2: movie. I I enjoyed it a lot the first time. I really enjoyed it the second time. Uh I was going to give it 8, but like I already know in the future I'd regret not giving it 9 Excaliburs. So nice. 9 Excaliburs. <laughs> I really recommend you guys watch it. Also, the Lady of the Lake scene is so epic.
0: Oh, yeah. that yeah. That is up there with, like, the lighthouse, like, Willem Dafoe nude beaming the light beam onto yes. <laughs> the other character. Yeah, Willem Dafoe <laughs> like naked that-
2: beaming while handing Excalibur to King <laughs> Arthur.
0: Oh, yes. I want to see that. Yes. There's a mashup. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, there you go. All right, Chelsea, an epic moment.
1: I actually have an epic feature for you guys. I really love the way when people are using magic it's or wielding a magical artifact, it's reflected in their eyes. The oh, eye, yeah. In the iris of their eyes. Um,
0: oh, yes.
1: Arthur's eyes glow blue when he's using Excalibur. Uh,
0: so cool. Vortigern. W-
1: Vortigern's eyes glow uh orange and red when he's using fire magic and um the mage is uh she didn't get a name remember
0: the mage
1: the mage's eyes change to the eyes of the animals that she's controlling oh
0: yeah
1: as she's controlling different animals that's super cool that was a really neat feature i like that element yeah. Um, I like it when magic shows some kind of physical sign on the wielder. I think that's really neat. Yeah. And something we don't see enough of, actually. Totally. Yeah. Um.
0: I, so, I think that that would be awesome to see in more movies. It would give the, the world a more lived-in feel.
1: I think for the ambiance and storytelling style, I've got to give it a nine Excaliburs. nice man nice. I, I
0: I didn't know I was gonna go so low compared to you guys man yeah we're
2: at an eight point75 average rating for this one it's pretty good nice. yeah
1: pretty
0: good maybe maybe yeah. I should maybe I should raise my score to a nine an excalibur a sting and is there a uh, is there a uh, legendary butter the knife? sword from Kroll. or the the the, 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 uh, the like wheel blade from crawl nice <laughs> Oh yeah, and not a butter knife, but
2: In the throwing, the like throwing boomerang knife from Beastmaster also.
0: Yeah, I mean it's basically that. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> well, there you go.
1: All, All right. right.
0: Well, then it's off to the bounty board. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. who's on the board this week? Who is on the board this week, indeed. We should probably give a shout-out to our good friend Casey Cannon, who designed our awesome swords and satire logo. Yeah! She's a graphic designer, and you can check out her work at caseycannon.design. So check that out if you're looking for any graphic design work. Check out the awesome stuff she does, and check out the website and see what, um... You know, yeah. She might be able to do for you. It's true.
1: Something on the bounty board today for all you listeners: drink a glass of water when Ooh. you feel thirsty.
2: Oh my gosh! I could not have given a better bounty for the day. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, look at sunshine. <laughs> like
0: directly? <laughs> no, not
2: directly. <laughs> no, no, don't look at it directly. Uh, look, look at it on a on some water. That's nice. Look at it dancing through or on water.
0: Appreciate it dancing through the leaves. <laughs> oh, very, yes. very poetic. Yes. That's a good bounty. Um, I'm going to suggest that people watch a swords and satire movie you haven't seen yet. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's a good one.
1: that's a good one. The
2: ba- uh, y- what you will receive for this is uh, improved quality of life.
0: That's <laughs> right. All of these things will increase your quality of life by... Uh, let's see if I can get the calculations right here. Uh, Fifty-six point four points.
2: Yes. Uh, nice. Yeah,
0: it's true. Also, uh, uh, just
2: if you want to see some of my doodles, uh, look me up on Instagram under uh, Jacksod Shadowwalker. You better spell that. J A X O D Shadow Walker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, uh, is there uh, two W's? Yes, there are two W's. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's just a little place where I'm going to be posting some doodles. So, yeah.
1: Nice. I'll visit
2: it. Nice. Oh, me too. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Do I get experience? Uh, you get to look at art. Close I enough. think art gives experience.
1: And that's like life experience.
2: Um. Art is like... Fuck that. I need combat
0: experience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe if you hit someone with your phone while you have my account open. Oh, but you know what? It's okay because I have bard levels. Oh, that's nice. Perfect. Art is like, uh, the fruit of
0: the heart, dude.
2: Yeah.
0: And art is nature's candy? Yeah, there you go. If fruit is nature's candy, then I guess art is, too? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. A takeaway for the day. Well, with that out of the way, I guess it's time to rewrite some history. This is the part of the podcast where we take the movie we just watched and we discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff. And I think we kind of know where this has to go. This movie was supposed to be the beginning of a franchise. We need to talk about where it would have gone from here.
1: There's so many adventures the sword could have after this point.
0: I I know. That time like (laughs) later on it's when it's life when it's used to like open a (laughs) bottle of mead.
2: (laughs) Just just the phrasing that the sword could have. Not not what Arthur and his friends
0: This is the legend of the sword, Jack. Yeah it's I, in I the know. title. It's Damascus Steel <laughs> Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, the sword is the most important character it could open a bottle of meat. that's great
2: just it'll be on a fail army video thousands of years from now where someone tries to open a champagne bottle with it and it just cracks the entire thing
0: <laughs> it just destroys the ship that they're trying to christen with oh, oh, <laughs> no. a shockwave yep.
1: so in the legends of King Arthur um, he is supposed to be well known for repelling Saxon invasions into England so what- those
0: blood bloody sacks. what we
1: could do yeah, is right um and they were setting up an issue with the viking ambassadors that were there at the end of the first mo- at the end of this movie that we got right
0: so here.
1: i think that the uh the next movie could be centered around a conflict with the vikings
0: oh interesting mm-hmm. something related to that yeah I thought that we should start introducing some of the other classic characters from the Arthurian legends too. Yeah, you, I you could have fun.
1: both elements. But oh,
0: but here's something I forgot to mention earlier that I, I really I wanted to commend this movie for, which I don't think any other movie we've watched for this show has done, or maybe a handful. There is no romantic subplot, and I was so happy. Yeah, I, you know. I, now there was a double-edged sword. Uh huh. Uh huh. Because. There was definitely a dearth of female characters. There needed to be more female characters in this movie, but they didn't shoehorn in some stupid fucking love interest that wouldn't have made sense. Yeah, they didn't like try to bring in Guinevere or anything, or you know, they, you know. Some movies have like rebooted her, like the um the 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 Clive Owen one, oh, where right, she's more right. of a, a Celtic warrior woman that was cool but then like there's no chemistry between her and arthur in that one yeah, yeah that's right but like i like that about that so i want to in our sequel i don't want to do what would probably have been done which is bring in unnecessary romantic plots yeah you know, nothing inorganic you know if, if there's going to be one it needs to have some legs
1: something cool about Guinevere is that some in some of the legends about that give you more of her backstory she was someone who liked to explore in the woods she kind of n- knows a little bit about herbalism
0: that's cool
2: yeah i've seen her portrayed Maybe as a that. bit more of a mage type character before
0: having her be like a cleric yeah. or a healer of some kind yeah cool. she's
1: typically nice. a healer Yeah, and she's kind of portrayed as having an affinity for animals and healing animals as well.
0: So she's a Disney princess. (laughs)
1: That's nice. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe they copied that. that. I don't know. Oh,
0: God, that'd be wild. I I like this idea. I like giving her... I feel like a lot of the King Arthur movies I've seen or stories I've read... um, often just kind of cast Guinevere in this very passive role. Yeah. I don't like that. At the same
1: time, maybe we don't want to have a romantic subplot. Maybe we it would, maybe it wouldn't, but it doesn't have to be... It could just be implied that it could go there.
0: Sure, exactly. Um, it builds up more organically. It doesn't have
1: to be overt.
0: It doesn't have to end with the scene in every fucking movie where it's like, the king and this female character who they've built no chemistry with are suddenly, like, standing amongst their people, like, getting married or some shit. Like, after no time building up the relationship. Like, string it out over a few movies. You
1: could establish her role as a healer and a cleric in her own right and, like, show her value to the community in that way. and yeah. And... and, and Kind of give her more of an identity with some backstory, you know.
0: Maybe she's maybe when we meet her and Lancelot they're in the relationship already. And then Arthur's the third wheel. Oh yeah.
1: Ooh. I love that. That yeah. could Twist. be pretty
0: cool. Oh yeah. my gosh. They could be wandering freelancers, tournamenters, uh, yes. who are, oh, you know, like yeah. maybe a, a team of of jousters and then they come to the kingdom. That Arthur's already established. He's having a tournament. Well,
1: you know why he's having that tournament, because he's have he knows he's that he's looking for a
0: best friend.
1: No, 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 because he knows that this issue with the Vikings is going to come to a head. So ah. he has this tournament to try to bring in all the best fighters yes. to be yes, general, exactly.
2: I was thinking they that that
1: could le- help him lead his army.
2: Yes, very cool. Oh man, oh man, that'd be so good. Like, King Arthur's, like, oh, only the very best, only the very last few can be, like, maybe even only the winner can join the round table. And then Guinevere and Lancelot are both, like, well, uh, we're together, but, like, I'm gonna be in the round table, not you. And that, like, puts a divide in their relationship, right? Right. And then King Arthur doesn't realize until kind of near the end when Lancelot and Guinevere are, like, at each other's throats. And he's like, whoa! You know, I was just going to accept, like, all the badasses, right? Like, it didn't just have to be the winner. I was just saying that so you'd really commit. But then, like, there's already a divide. So then Guinevere's just kind of, like, already into Arthur at that point. And as long as it
0: builds um, up and we get a little bit of more natural. Yeah, so it's not just
2: super jarring, but I really like the idea of Guinevere have, being like having like maybe some healing herbology skills, and then also being a knight I think maybe that's so cool maybe she can
1: speak to animals maybe her magic Ooh. affinity isn't controlling animals it's speaking to them
2: yeah that's really cool yeah, right. but besides animals healing control her
1: arts yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, maybe not yeah speaking is better
1: like the healing that she knows how to do is herbology it's a form of medicine yeah. So that's something that you can learn, you know. But this affinity that she has to speak to animals is something that's a little bit more magical in nature. Sure. Yeah.
0: And it gives them an opportunity to maybe portray the concept of like witchcraft in a more positive light than it often is in movies. And
1: that she would be accepted for these skills.
0: Right. It's a needed skill. You know, Arthur had a magical sword. He shouldn't be casting aspersions on Healers and people who use like healing arts that would be considered magical. Maybe it's a magic positive kingdom. Yeah. It's true. There is sex one positive
2: issue. and magic positive. It's yeah. true. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine Lancelot and Guinevere coming to King Arthur and then just being like, "My king, we have come to serve you." And then just like,
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, and I then Wet Stick and Blue Boy are just like. So you think you can be a knight, eh? (laughs) No, you can't be a knight. No, that's not a knight. Yeah, but think of the montage opportunities.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I would love that where it's just like going scene to scene and Lancelot and Guinevere are just like, what's happening? (laughs) They're just like,
0: Lancelot, you're going to give the package to Nick, to Nikki, the nickname. Yeah, wait, the nickname, Nicky, Ma- the one with the the stained knickers, or <laughs> I'll just
2: ask around town.
0: No, no, you, you can't, can't do that.
2: Do that. <laughs> no, no, he's got it all wrong. Arthur, don't don't listen to this guy.
3: <laughs> Yeah, oh,
2: okay, weird. I'm a big fan of that, actually, where they just get, like, the actual Knights of the Round Table get hazed by the friends that they put in the previous film.
3: Nice.
2: That's a good time. Also, um, I might like to see the mage. Uh, like, whether or not you give her a name. <laughs>
0: you know, I'll let you know. No, I, I liked your, I will lean into your explanation that she doesn't give her a name because she knows the power that names have. So, Merlin's Tower is in the movie already.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And we get a
2: scene that, you know, some people just, you know, looked right over and didn't even realize was in the movie where Merlin is melting down his magic staff to forge Excalibur. Yeah. And he has this tower which is in the center of Camelot it looks like, and it's or nearby at least, and it's destroyed at the end of the film in the final duel. But I might like to see the mage rebuilding this kind of, like, magical tower in the Darklands. Oh, yeah. Because she can control animals. She controls the huge serpent, which, as I am to understand, is kind of like the apex predator out there. Seems like it. Yeah. And so she's out there kind of, like, controlling this megafauna building this like maybe mage school again because there used to be a mage school they address where Merlin was like a professor yeah like the head of it and so her rebuilding that
0: could be very cool it's
1: vaguely reminiscent of the actual historical druid college yes Yeah.
0: now what if we we do another nice twist and we have Merlin, or somebody claiming to be Merlin coming back and trying to reclaim this power and trying to usurp the mage. And you know she's one of the subplots is her fighting back against Merlin.
2: That could be like this movie's take on Morgana as well. She claims oh. to be like the daughter of
0: Merlin or just the rebirth of Merlin. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'm much more into rebirth but i but Merlin. how I, I wanted that to end great. with her being, you know, the one who comes out ahead and who is, of redeemed to this yeah that makes sense that could be so especially cool. with how few female characters we have in the series so far yeah that seems like a good idea i like that i like that new twist on on the mage and morgana and merlin yeah um, yeah
1: i like that um she would be coming out victorious and be painted in a good light you know something that could be interesting is if uh, somebody that was working for um Mordred survived,
0: Ooh. and they made a mm. pact
1: with those octopi women because they were still around.
0: Oh, good call! They're still no... under a Camelot. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so they, what if it's... oh? They made a pact with them to kind of take on the mantle of Merlin.
0: Oh, that's cool. And that's the cool. per,
1: whoever that is is the one that's trying to usurp the mage's position.
0: What if it's one of Arthur's, uh, you know, people because they're you know in the castle and and like roaming around, they they find their way into this underground layer. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Be yeah,
0: it could. Be what cool. if it's Blue Boy?
1: I was thinking. Blue that Boy. Too.
0: No, Blue, Blue Boy's Blue. a good boy, <laughs> but is he?
1: He's tortured can now he that be... he saw his father be killed.
0: Exactly. Can he be a good boy after watching his father tortured in such a horrible oh, way? He never Pretty wants cool. to be
1: in that powerless position again. Yes. He wants to have the power to save his loved ones.
2: Dude, I would love to see him redeemed and become, like, the next Merlin figure by the end of that film as well.
0: I mean, that's fine. We, like, we can, people we can explore to with Merlin. that, sure. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, he... He forms this dark pact, and he's like a big bad evil guy for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But by the end, also... Maybe the mage gives him mercy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, spares him. And then he's also working with this Morgana figure. Also, Excalibur is formed from Merlin's staff, right? Yeah. So I think it would be really cool if... Arthur was getting, like, these kind of visions the way he does from gripping the handle.
1: Yeah.
2: Where he actually is kind of, like, speaking with almost, like, a force ghost of Merlin throughout
1: the film. Oh, that would be sick. Where he's, like,
2: getting these premonitions... And then, like, he still can counsel with his dad, too, yeah, stuff like it, that. Yeah,
1: you, because you've got a great point there. Because in the memories that he goes into, he can interact with them in a different way. It's not just re-showing his memories. It's actually a dynamic memory that he can interact
2: with. Yeah, he straight up has a conversation with his dad in one of those.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm ca- proud of you, boy. Yeah, he catches the sword by the hilt before it falls into his dad's back. It doesn't change what happened, but it allows him to exchange a few words
0: with his dad. It's
1: almost like a simulation that he enters into.
0: Yeah. Is this movie taking place in the Matrix? Oh, <laughs> no. oh, oh, that'd be
2: so cool though if he used the sword to like simulate battles with like the mages and then like kept like he keeps simulating like this final fight. He has a premonition of like like this big monstrous form. And he doesn't know it's Blue Boy, right? Or this Morgana figure we came up with. And he keeps, like, redoing it by, like, making a simulation when he holds Excalibur. And, like, fighting them, but he keeps losing. He doesn't know how to win. And he has to fundamentally change the way he's, like, thinking about something. And he has to, like, treat the mage like a person.
1: Right? (laughs) He
0: He can never win the battle because he doesn't realize that the most powerful weapon in his arsenal is kindness. That sounds nice. to
1: me like it would be a yeah. great premise for the third movie, actually. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. There you go. Oh, and that's three movies now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, they could have been such a good franchise. All right, guys, call up Guy Ritchie. We're resurrecting this. Yep. Yep. And yeah. you know,
2: we really can't do the montages justice the way he can. So he'll need to
0: throw pepper those in. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We need a real uh, an old an old hand to do this. Yeah. yeah an old hand, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the hand. All right, beautiful. Well then I guess it's time for Can You Role Play It? The part of the show where we talk about these characters. And this world for a role-playing game.
2: So I think the main character is a magic uh, is a magic item.
0: Yeah, an intelligent artifact. Yes, yeah. semi-intelligent at least. Long yeah, sword.
2: Yeah. yeah, long sword. Long sword yeah. definitely. Or I That's mean, actually...
0: depending, you know, depending on what edition you're playing, you know, of D and D or Pathfinder, could be a bastard sword. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's either the main catalyst, like the quest giver for the party. Or Ooh. it is one of the player
0: characters. Now, see, that's a cool idea. An artifact that is also, like, kind of the party's main uh, driving uh, benefactor. I like that. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. And uh, I think it could have abilities such as, like, if we're putting it in Dungeons & Dragons, I think it would have, like, a number of charges that would probably reset
0: daily. Sure, with the wave attacks and stuff.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about, like, ways that it could make you go fast, like, super speed. Weapon of speed, man. Yeah, exactly. Just an extra attack. I was thinking potentially you could expend a number of charges to do an action surge. Sure. Nice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then also probably something that would be similar to, like, a Cone of Cold like, force attack, where you yes. just slash in a direction. Cone just as like, a shockwave.
0: Cone or radius around you that doesn't affect you. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like, or your
0: allies, because there's a the scene in the in the um, fighting school where Arthur's hacking through everybody, and he uses the wave burst, and then all the black leg soldiers are knocked out, but all of his friends are just standing there like, yo, dude, how did you do that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're untouched.
0: So, you know, you can choose the targets of the attack. Also, sorry all
2: you players out there who like your 20th level casters. Grossly overshadowing 20th level fighters. (laughs) But uh, I think this might be a fighter exclusive weapon.
0: Uh, Then again, it was forged from a caster's magical item. Yeah, true. Now, when it comes to Arthur himself, I think that we're pretty clear that he's got some monk levels. Yeah, this dude does a lot of hand to hand fighting early in the movie. He does a lot of balancing and acrobatic stuff. He might right. not even be a fighter. He could be, or he's not wearing armor. Parkour. Yes. parkour. Yeah, he doesn't wear armor. Parkour. Yeah. Yeah, he's parkour all over the place. He doesn't wear armor. He does a lot of unarmed, rapid uh, flurry of blows attacks. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. It's
1: it's true. He doesn't really have uh, the ability to use weapons. It's it's. Yeah, he's the sword. Not controlling <laughs> the sword. The sword is controlling him when he's wielding it. So it's. He's acting, not even
0: proficient in the weapon.
1: It's using his body to basically enact its will. <laughs>
2: yeah, I could see him as a Kensei monk. Yeah, because he did, I think they say that he learned kung fu or was taught by someone who knows yeah
0: george the um the arena or the the fighting school master is like a kung fu
2: yeah if he was a kensei monk and just used the sword that would be so cool that would yeah that's arthur in a way we've definitely never seen him i think he might have rogue levels or he's just a monk that acts especially roguish yeah proficiency stealth i suppose yeah is not Something exclusive to rogues I mean, he, he, he was probably was. like the urchin background,
0: obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. he was raised on the streets. That—that yeah.
2: that is so perfect. And he hides his coins away. He doesn't spend. He only saves. Yeah. And his he's horde, frugal. His dragon horde grows over the years. He
1: trades and extorts for anything else he wants, like furs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. He's immoral for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the mage is actually kind of a druid, or maybe like a druid enchanter. Like yeah. enchanter, wizard, um, or I guess some type of sorcerer with um, more mind control stuff. But I think that's more older. I think different. Druid
2: is right
1: druid. on the makes mark. Druid makes the most sense.
0: Druid, I, she's got some enchant. I feel like she's got some enchantment, but that might have just been some residual magic, like we were saying. Definitely more Druid stuff. Controlling animals, seeing through the eyes of animals, that kind of stuff. Nature-based magic. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any other characters that we got to see enough to <laughs> talk about? Um... Doing things. Oh, uh, uh, Goose Fat Bill was a good archer. Yeah, that's right. He was a really
2: good archer, actually. Played
0: by, uh, the guy who plays Littlefinger on Game of Thrones. He that's was a
1: sniper man. archer. Yes. That was super cool. Yo,
2: when he shot a dude from, like, what was it, 75 meters something or something? Like it was supposed to be a really far distance... The, they thought he missed because he shot the dude so hard with the bow <laughs> that the arrow went, like, way
0: through yeah, him. Yeah,
2: it tore through the guy. So far away that they it were like,
0: oh, it gone, yeah. It punctured the guy's armor, rib cage, and, like, flew out at full speed. Yeah, it happened I, it was so like a quickly, bullet.
1: the guy didn't even know he was dead at first.
0: <laughs> Omae wa mo shinderu. Nani?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, yeah, I had a very big like, just pull the trigger harder moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull the bowstring back farther.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, he's a good archer though. There's definitely some overlap between like Guy Ritchie movies like this and anime like world logic and stuff. Yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. a lot of frenetic True. motion yeah. and movement. A lot of like. Kind of wild dialogue that kind of uh, over-explains what's happening and the plot and everything. You know, come to think of it,
2: heist animes, yeah,
0: it's true. It's a thing.
2: Yeah, mostly mm-hmm.
0: his, mostly Richie's newer stuff, I feel like, is more inspired by just that frantic style and pacing. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Are there any other characters that well, we could really get um, a beat on? the
1: villain... Uh, Jude Law. I think he would make a really cool warlock of some type.
0: A pact of the deep, yeah.
1: Hexblade,
2: <laughs> Hexblade, right? I mean, his patron is oh yeah, he fit pact of the deep with it because it's a tentacle woman he, from the water. He did
0: create that crazy double-headed scythe. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's true. Yeah, crazy like double-headed shadow scythe. Self. He's a melee fighter. He can shoot fireballs, but you know, Hexblades can do that. They're sure. casters. Yeah, fire bolts. He know. requires souls for his patron. And oh yeah, Hexblades. You know, the blade eats the soul. Yeah, no, I
1: like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, I'll buy that's it. A really cool A monk idea.
2: versus a warlock, tale as old as time.
1: <laughs> and he actually tries to hide the fact that he's a warlock because of his earlier war on mages.
2: Right. Yeah. Oh, he's a hypocrite. Now, yeah. I could I could see Merlin. I mean, not Merlin, Mordred as like a sorcerer. Because it seemed like he was leaning more into his inherent magic and enlarge reduce. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he yeah. seemed like
0: he had enlarge for sure. Um he used a lot of like immolation magic, I like guess sorcerer kinda. Yeah, of makes we sense. didn't get to see a lot of him. He seemed charismatic to me. Yeah, but, you know, it's true. We didn't get to see him talk or anything. Yeah, he had a big army. So. Mostly just his cool crown. He yeah, had that's true.
1: multiple types of powers. All the other mages that we saw, generally speaking, had one type of power that they wielded he was controlling those animals and using fire magic um and um probably other things that I'm forgetting now but he had multiple types of powers that he was
0: Yeah I mean oh, he was he, like
1: he had like obscuring mist and heat metal and Oh, that's right. He did. He had
0: all those. He seemed like the highest level character in the movie. I mean, you know, Uther beats him more by, like, having a more powerful artifact, but Mordred had the greatest overall power. Uther had, like, protection against magic or something.
1: Yeah. So he was just making his
0: saves all over the place. Yeah.
1: Well, it was Excalibur that was giving him that ability. So
0: Excalibur obviously gives you advantage on saving throws against magic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Man, what an artifact!
1: Yeah, it just out, like
2: has the Mage Slayer feet from Five E on it.
1: Legendary tier is that beyond epic? <laughs> <laughs> um, artifact is like
0: I a thing. Artifact, in of yeah. Itself. Artifact is yeah. just like a, a magic item that is beyond all other magic items. Right. Like the Belt of Dwarven Kind, isn't that the one? Is that an artifact that makes you grow a beard? Yeah, yeah. If you
2: have that in the axe, don't you like become a dwarf? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it just actually turns you into a yeah, dwarf. It slowly t- transforms you into a dwarf. Yeah, there's stuff like that in Five E where it turns you into a Yuanti abomination. <laughs> so, Ooh. Yeah, that we should have why we didn't talk about that in the first episode with Conan the Barbarian. That's no. okay.
0: We'll redo Conan someday. One day, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: We'll watch the Jason Momoa. Well, we have oh, to watch God. the
1: second one still. Conan
0: the Destroyer. Oh yeah, yeah. we'll get to no it. No mill though.
2: No right. mill. He traded that in for the uh, for the stone, the Serpent Eye, right? Probably. Does he still have that one at the end? Don't. We'll listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Didn't he give that to his girlfriend? Yeah. Alright, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for the uh, viable role-playing bit. Um, yeah. And that wraps it up for our show.
1: Yeah! We'd like to Woo!
0: thank you all for listening to Swords & Satire. If you had a good time, why don't you sneak on over to iTunes, roll a stealth check, and leave us a five-star review. It would really do us... A lot of good and help spread the word about our show. Yeah, spread the word.
1: Yeah, and if you liked what you heard, you could follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Or both. Yeah. and Or so, Twitter,
0: but I don't think we do much on there. And
1: subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. That's right. Tell your friends about us. Yeah, Ooh, tell that's your a, friends.
0: That's another mission. That'll get you, let's say, 5,000 experience. Nice. I like it. Tell your friends. Yeah, yeah, tell your friends.
1: 5000 yeah. for each person you tell.
0: Ooh, a good deal. Yeah, yeah. for each person.
1: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, thanks for listening.
0: Thank you. And until next time, Hail Crom!